Well, let's take our Bibles, if you will, and open them to the uh, Old Testament, to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, all right? 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, I have an old Schofield Bible, and if you have one, that's page number 367 this morning. And I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along this morning. And also, I'm going to ask you to really listen intently this morning, okay? 2 Samuel chapter number 12. If you're familiar with the Bible, then you will know that these chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, records for us King David's dirtiest, darkest, most deceitful deeds that he ever did during his reign. I'm talking about his adulterous relationship with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. So I'm going to ask you to really listen now this morning, and I'm praying the Lord will speak to hearts and help us in this place today. Thank you again for being here. Don't forget our service this afternoon at 5.30, and we get to do this all over again tonight. Brother Scott Whitman is going to be here preaching for us. We're starting teen camp meeting tonight. It's going to be a great service, and I hope you'll be here, be a part of that. We're looking forward to having a good time together in the house of God. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you're there, would you say Amen. I want you to look this way, if you will. If you think back recently to our Sunday morning services, then you may remember that I have been preaching a series of sermons that I have entitled, Heavenly Howbeits. Heavenly Howbeits. And what we've been doing is just working through the Bible, going to various places in the Bible where the word howbeit is mentioned in the Bible. Now, we don't really use that word a whole lot in today's uh, language, today's culture, terminology. Uh, you know, I doubt probably many of us even said that word all week long. But yet in the Bible, that word is used oftentimes to introduce us to some great truths that are found in the Word of God. So this morning, we're looking at another heavenly howbeit. And boy, are we going to learn something about God and something about ourselves from this text this morning. If I could this morning, I want to introduce this heavenly howbeit by asking you just one question this morning. And my question is this, if you could rewind the tape of your life, if you could somehow hit the rewind button and go back over your life one more time, is there one thing that you would do differently? Now, I'm not asking about two or three or four things. I'm sure we probably would have many things but if, if there was just one thing that you could undo, if there was just one thing you could go back and just, man, just do it differently, what one thing would that be? Now, I want to guarantee you this. It would not be something that you did that was good that you wished you'd have done better. But in all likelihood, it's something that you did that was bad that you would have wished that you would have never done at all. Well, this morning, I am preaching on a man by the name of King David. And King David has a heavenly howbeit in his life. And if I were to ask King David, if King David was standing right here this morning in this service, and I were to say to him, King, is there one thing, it, just one now, is there one thing that if you could hit the rewind button and go back and do differently, do it all over again, is there one thing that you would do differently? I guarantee if he was here this morning, the answer would be yes. 
And then if we were to ask him, what would that one thing be? I guarantee it would only be just one word. He would probably say, Bathsheba. If he could go back and do it all over again and have the opportunity to do it differently, King David, what would that be? I think he would probably say, right off the top of his head, oh, it would have to be Bathsheba. You know, when you think about King David's life, really there are two names that really pop into your mind automatically if you're familiar with the Bible. The first name is the name Goliath. We always associate with David and Goliath. But the second name that we associate David with is the name Bathsheba. Now, Goliath, that represents David's greatest victory in his life. I'm talking about the pinnacle of David's life was when he went down into the valley of Eli and battled and fought with Goliath. That represents his greatest victory. But can I tell you this, Bathsheba represents David's greatest failure, his greatest defeat, without doubt the lowest point of his life. You see, when we think about David and Goliath, we think about the giant that David slew. But we think about David and Bathsheba, we think about the giant that slew David. You say, preacher, I didn't know he lost to a giant. Oh, yeah. He lost. Many others have lost. And you and I will lose if we ever get into a battle with lust. That's right. David lost the battle with lust. The giant of lust rose up and slew King David. Now, I guarantee you this, that no other sin in all of the Word of God outside of the sin of Adam and Eve has received more press coverage in the Bible than the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. You know, really, we have coined a lot of term, terminology in our day that kind of, you know, describes what David did with Bathsheba. Many times, we, you hear this in our culture today, it was a one-night affair. You heard that before. Many others would say something like this. Well, it was just an extramarital affair. It was a one-night stand. It was an indiscretion. It was a misjudgment. But can I show you what God said about it? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 now and look at verse 27 and look at the last sentence of the verse because it says this, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Hey, I know in our terminology we try to dress it up and call it by good names, make it not sound near as bad as it really is, but, David, but the Bible said God said about this thing that David done, I'll tell you what, that highly displeases me. The one thing that David did has everything that Hollywood loves. Our culture in this day would almost stand back and applaud David and Bathsheba. They would almost throw accolades on them. They would almost shower them down with compliments and roses because, let's just face it, in our culture today, this is not really frowned about anymore. But I'll tell you what, Hollywood would love this story. You know why? There's adultery. You know why? There's drunkenness. There's murder, there's intrigue, and there is a cover-up. I'm telling you, if this same, th same thing happened today that happened back in David's day, there would be special prosecutors and special counsels uh, convened, and there'd be investigations the likes of which would make the Russian investigation look like a bad episode of Perry Mason. And I know what they'd call it, Bathsheba Gate. It would be called Bathsheba Gate. 
and the New York Times and Twitter would be lit up with the words, King's Spring Fling Uncovered. That's right. I mean, brother, you talk about press coverage, you talk about headlines, you talk about nightly news on television. If this thing happened today that happened in David's day, it would receive unprecedented coverage. But now here's the thing about it. David, as of our text, is at the top of his game. I mean, his batting average is 1,000. His approval rating is 100%. He's never been defeated militarily. The economy under his leadership is clicking on all eight cylinders. The nation of Israel under his reign is the world superpower of its day. It's the epitome of the entire world. And David himself, ladies and gentlemen, is at the prime of life. He's 50 years old as of our text. He's the nation's number one songwriter. He's the nation's number one soldier. And the whole world is at the feet of David. His face is no doubt plastered every year on people's magazine because every year he is the man of the year. And yet we learn from this one incident how true it is the higher you are, the farther you fall. And the farther you fall, the harder you hit. You know, we, we esteem David. We, we hold David in high regards because he never ran from a battle. Man, we look at that little boy, 17 years old, going down to face that nine-foot-tall giant in the valley of Eli. We, we sit back and we admire that because here's a guy that's got great courage. He didn't run when everybody else was hit out. He didn't retreat. David stood his ground with Goliath. And I want to tell you something. In this battle right here, he shouldn't have stood his ground. He should have hightailed it. He should have ran. He should have retreated because I want to tell you something. Because he stood his ground, he lost absolutely everything. That's exactly right. I think here's David's problem because David convinced himself of a lie that many of us in this room have convinced ourselves of as well. And the lie is this. I can do it and get by. Many of us have convinced ourselves through some process of life, the journey of life, many of us have told ourselves the same thing. I can, can do this and I can get by with it. But ladies and gentlemen, David didn't get by. Samson didn't get by. Solomon didn't get by. And can I tell you something? You won't get by with it and neither will I. There will always come a payday. Well, this morning we come to our how be it in the life of David. Could I just stop the sermon this morning and read you this? Look at verse number, well, look at verse number, verse, verse number 12. For thou, this is Nathan now, the prophet, speaking to David. He said, but thou did this, did it, didst it secretly but I will do, all the, uh, do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now read the next word with me. How be it? How be it? How be it? By this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now what I need to tell you about the story is this. 
This, this incident, this adulterous affair, whatever you want to call it, one-night stand, extramarital affair, indiscretion, misjudgment, whatever you want to call it, it happened back in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And then as we come to chapter 12, what many of us fail to realize is about one year has now passed. You see, between what happened back in chapter 11 with the, with the, with the, with the adultery with Bathsheba, and now we come to chapter 12, a year has now passed. It's been a year since all that happened. And listen to this. David and Bathsheba are now married. They're actually expecting their, uh, uh, their first baby together. A whole year has now passed, and David is probably thinking this. I got by with that. I got by with it. And only a few people know. Listen, there's David. There's Bathsheba. There's Joab. Joab knew about it. Because you've got to remember, David wrote a letter about Bathsheba's husband. Set him in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him. You know Joab knew something was going on there. And I think for the rest of his life, Joab held that letter over David's head. Joab had that letter. He had proof, he had evidence that David had a man killed and committed adultery with his wife. Had that letter. Hey, who's got a letter on you, friend? David knew. Bathsheba knew. Joab knew. But most of all, God knew. You see, the Bible said in Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Look, what we may do under the guise of darkness, God knows in the brightness of light. God said, David, how be it? How be it? It wasn't long until God sent somebody over there to confront David about his sin. And that's really what this whole chapter is about, David getting right with God. You know a good way to tell that you're really right with God? Don't you listen? This almost sounds crazy. It sounds a little bit contradictory, but it is so true. The best way to know that you know God is by when you sin. That's right. You see, if you can just sin, go out and sin and get by with it, never feel inwardly the feelings of guilt, never feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, never confronted by God about your sin, if you do that and get by with it, don't, don't be mad at me here, but can I just say this like it's in my heart? You don't know God. And you say, don't judge me, preacher. I'm not. I'm not judging you. But I'll tell you this, brother. When you and I see it, if we really know God, there'll be some conviction that'll come along with that. There'll be some sleepless nights. There'll be some guilt feelings, ladies and gentlemen, until we get that right with God. Because if you can sin and God deal with you, that's pretty good evidence. You know God. I think our churches are filled with people who, can, who go out and every week, do everything they want to do, and come into church. They never feel guilty about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not saved. You are not saved if you can sin and get by with it. A good evidence that you don't know God. How be it, God said. How be it, God said. There came a how be it in David's life after his sin with Bathsheba. Well, can I show you three things that happen now in our story around that word how be it? Can I show you, and I, oh, by the way, I want to encourage you this morning and then I'm going to drop the bomb on you. Okay? 
But I want, I, want, I want this to be encouraging, at least the first two points. And then we'll leave after I beat you up. Okay? Three things around that. How be it? Notice in verse number, 13, verse number 14, how be it? I think, number one, from that word we learn this. David, grace has come. Grace has come. Look back up in verse 13. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now that's what God's been waiting to hear. I mean, for a whole year, David's kept silent about this. He's pleaded the fifth that what he might say might incriminate him. He hasn't spoken a word to God about this whole incident for one year. God sent a preacher over to his house, a prophet by the name of Nathan. And by the way, that's what I am to somebody in this room this morning. I'm your Nathan, friend. I'm the one that God has sent to knock on your heart's door this morning and to look at you and say, Thou art the man. Thou art the lady. Thou art the person that is displeased and disobeyed the Lord. But God had some good news about for David, and that's this. When David confessed... He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And by the way, that's not all he said because we have another chapter in our Bible, Psalms 51, when David begins to really confess and get right with God. And boy, David pours his heart out and says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. The Bible said that when God heard that, God said, uh, Nathan, tell him, I put, it, I put away a sin. You see, when you and I confess our sins, God forgives us of our sins. Grace steps in. Now, I, I, there's an important lesson we got to learn right here at this point. David said, I have sinned. God didn't say, David, I put away your sin before David said, I have sinned. God said it after David said. True repentance will always bring true forgiveness. But brother, if you're looking for forgiveness before you repent, you've got about as much chance of getting forgiveness before, you re before repentance as I've got walking out here at the end of a rainbow and finding a pot of gold. It's not going to happen. But when David said, I have sinned, when he made that confession, God said, Nathan, preacher, tell him, I put away a sin. Now look at this. I gotta, there's an important point here, and the point is this. We learn this from this aspect of this story. What we conceal, God reveals. Now listen to me. What you and I try to cover up. When we do wrong and we refuse to bring it to God, God's going to let the cat out of the bag. God is going to, God's going to take the lid off the pot. God is going to rip back the covers. Because if we try to conceal it, God is going to reveal it. When we try to cover it up, when we try to put our own covering on top of it and try to walk around and act like it didn't happen, I'm telling you, what we conceal, God is going to reveal. There's a verse in our Bible that goes something like this. Look at this verse, Proverbs 28, 13. He, let's read this together. He that covereth his sins, now read it, shall not prosper. He that, by the way, Solomon wrote that proverb, and I think Solomon had a personal illustration of his life, of that great truth, in the story of his own daddy. You and I trying to put a covering over our sin is one of the most ridiculous things we can ever do. 
I mean, imagine this. Right out behind this church, there's a 500-foot-high volcano. And for the last several days, there's been earthquakes and, and, and uh, shakings going on around the volcano and, and the steam and smoke is spewing out of the top of it. And they say, hey, I'll tell you what, that thing's getting ready to erupt. We've got to do something. Somebody said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go over here and get a big old plastic tarp and put over the top of that thing. That'll keep it from erupting. You say, preacher, that's absolutely ridiculous. You're right. And so is trying to put a human covering over your sins trying to cover up what you've done because what we conceal, God will reveal. But listen to this. When we pick up what we've done and we bring it to Calvary and lay it down and we step back and say, God, I am so wrong and everything you say about what I've done, I agree with you. I have sinned against you. Then what we reveal... God will conceal. You see, when we try to conceal it, God will reveal it. God's going to blow the top off of it. But when we try, when we come to God and reveal it, guess what God does? Hey, I've taken care of that. I have put your sin away. You see, when David finally being confronted uh, with his sin and being confronted about his sin, being convicted about his sin, he said what God had been waiting to hear. I've sinned. By the way, he didn't blame it on Bathsheba. He, said, he didn't say, she shouldn't have been out there taking a bath in the backyard without any clothes on. It's her fault. Brother, he didn't say, God, I, I just want to tell you, I have misjudged somebody. God, I've had an indiscretion. God, I want you to forgive me. I've had a one-night fleeing. God, forgive me. I've had a one-night affair. God, forgive he didn't. Hey, he didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't blame Joab. He didn't put the blame anywhere but on himself. He didn't say it was a mistake. He didn't say it was a misjudgment. He said, I have sinned. And buddy, when he said that, God began to work to cover up David's sin. Amen. Say it with me. When we conceal it, he reveals it. But when we reveal it, he conceals it. Amen. Brother, I'm here to tell you from that heavenly, how be it? We understand this. Grace. Grace has come. When you take what you've done and lay it out before the Lord, spread it before God and say, Oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. I wish I'd have never done this. Oh God, forgive me. God said, I've been waiting to hear that. Let's take care of this. Amen. Grace has come. Number two. Look again in this text. Not only do we understand from that how be it that grace has come, number two, we understand this. Guilt was canceled. Look again at the last phrase of verse number 13. You may, not, you may just miss right over the top of this, but back in chapter 12 in verse number 13, it says this, Thou shalt not die. Now, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. According to the law, can I tell you this? David was supposed to die according to the law of God. Number one, can I tell you this? I've counted this. Out of this one sin of David, he broke six of the Ten Commandments. Six of them in one sin. I mean, that's like being allotted 2,100 calories per day. Is that what we're supposed to get? Is it 21 or 2,200 calories you're supposed to get every day? Are you kidding me? I'll eat that in one bowl of ice cream with chocolate stuff on top of it. You know what? 
David in one bowl of ice cream broke six of God's original ten commandments. And can I tell you something? He was supposed to die. You know why? Number one, he committed adultery. And the Bible said that the man and the woman that got caught committing adultery was supposed to be stoned. Number two, he was guilty of murder. Our Bible says an eye for an eye and a you for a you. Our Bible said David was supposed to die. And then God said, but David, listen, you're not going to die. The Lord has put away your sin. Now, I told you a moment ago, it's been a year since David has talked to God. It's been a year since David said anything uh, about this to the Lord. It's been a year since Na before Nathan has come to the palace. And by the way, on the outside, David may be looking like, man, he's got it all together. Look at him. He's got a brand new wife. I mean, he's got a little baby on the way. I mean, man, David has got it all together. But I want to tell you something, man. It may all look happy from the outside, but we know differently. We know David inside has been a wreck for this last year. Because we have another psalm in our Bible called Psalms 32. And that's the psalm that David wrote during the year that he was away from God and didn't say anything about this sin. Let me show you what David said inwardly was going on in his heart the whole year before he confessed. This is why he's trying to conceal it. This is what David said was going on in his life. When I kept silence, when I didn't say anything to God about what I'd done, he said, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David, on the inside, was an emotional wreck. Look at this next verse. David said this, for day and night... Thy hand was heavy upon me. You know what David said? David said the heavy hand of a holy God was bearing down on me. David said I couldn't, I couldn't get any rest. My bones was hurting. On the inside, my conscience was roaring constantly. God's hand was heavy and bearing down. And then he said this. He said my moisture has turned into the drought of summer. David said, I've lost my tears. I've lost my desire for spiritual things. David said, my life is a wreck. Can I tell you something? If you sit here this morning and you're still concealing it and before God, can I tell you something? You've got to be an emotional wreck. Why don't you stop and think about this? If you've been caught up in something like David's been caught up in, can I tell you something? Every time the phone rings, you got to think, is this it? Every time a letter comes in the mailbox, you got to think to yourself, is this it? Every time an email pops up on the computer, you've got to think to yourself, oh my goodness, is this one that's going to be found out? You've got to be internally. You've got to be. Your bones have got to be waxing old. Your conscience has got to be. God's heavy hand is bearing down on you. Your moisture has been turned into the drought of summer. But with these words, David, you're not going to die. The guilt was canceled. Well, aren't you glad we serve a God that can not only forgive our sins... But aren't you glad that God can cancel our guilt? Amen. Hey, can I tell you something? Worst trip you'll ever take in your life is a guilt trip. That's exactly right. 
And buddy, think about the guilt, all the guilt, all the, all the, the, the consciousness of David that's, that's, that's screaming and, and crying out, David, what have you done? What have you done? Think about it. But God said, don't worry about it. Not only has grace come, but guilt is canceled. How many of y'all are with me now? Amen. Now we come to point three. Buckle your pew belt. You see, grace has come. Guilt was canceled. But now look at this. Grief is certain. You see, look again at verse 14. How be it? How be it, David? How be it? David, good news. I put away your sin. David, good news. You're not going to die. David, bad news. The sword's never going to depart from your house, David. David, bad news. That little baby that your wife, your new wife, is carrying, that little baby's going to die. If you look back up in verse number 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this. You know what God is saying, David? You're going to pay for this one sin for the rest of your life. Back up in verse number 10. Uh, verse number 10, look at this. Verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from my house. You know what God is saying, David, for the rest of your life? The judgment of God's going to be on your family. For the rest of your life, David, you're going to pay for this one sin. You say, preacher, did he pay? Can I ask you, did he pay? Are you kidding me? That little baby that was born out of that one night fling lived seven days, and then it died. So David had to go to the Hayworth Miller funeral home of his day and pick out a little casket and plan a funeral for a little baby that died. Now, can't you just see somebody come up to David and say, David, you're a man after God's own heart. David, you're such a good man. David, I don't, we don't understand why the Lord would let something like this happen to you. But David knew. Over the next chapter, guess what? This is sick, man. This sounds like love of another world over in chapter 13. Some of that garbage they play on TV. You know what happened? David had a daughter by the name of Tamar that was raped by another one of David's sons. Abs uh, not Absalom, but Amnon raped his own half-sister. How twisted is that, friend? My daddy, when, when me and my sisters used to fight, my daddy, after it was over, would make me go hug their neck. I told my daddy one time, he said, now go hug her neck. I said, Daddy, I'd rather kiss a mule in the mouth than hug my sister's neck. Daddy, can you just not beat me till the smoke alarm goes off? I don't want to hug their neck. That is something twisted about that. Can you imagine how twisted that is when a, a, a brother rapes his own sister? Here comes Tamar with the news. Daddy, Daddy, oh God, Daddy, my brother has raped me. I don't understand why this happened. David knew. David knew. Wasn't long till Tamar's brother, Absalom, found out what Amnon had done to his sister. He takes him out where they're shearing sheep. He gets a pair of shears from sheep and, and gets, old, gets old Amnon drunk and takes those shears and clips his heart out. Word gets back to the palace. David, your boy, Amnon is dead. You've got to plan a funeral for your son. 
There he goes back to Hayworth Miller in his day to pick out casket and to plan a funeral. They pass by the funeral line. David, we don't understand. You're such a good man. Why did this happen? David knew. It didn't long till Absalom rebels against David, tries to kill his own daddy. You know the story. He tries to kill his own daddy. And the Bible said that he runs his daddy off the throne. David's as an old man's back out living in the bush, in the wilderness again. And he's weeping and he's crying. And one of his soldiers comes up to him and says, David, we don't understand. Man, it seems like you just have one episode after the other. We don't understand. You're a man after God's own heart. We don't understand why Absalom's done this. David knew. And it isn't long before Absalom gets killed. He's hanging in, in, in the boughs of a, of a tree. His head gets caught up in the boughs of a tree. And somebody rides by with some darts and throws him and stabs him in the heart. Word gets back to the palace. David's broken. He's got to go back, plan another funeral for his family. Somebody said, oh God, what's God doing to David? We don't understand it. David knew. For the rest of his life. Yes, sir. Watch this. Grace will come. Yeah. Guilt will be canceled. But if the Bible is true, grief will be certain. You and I cannot sin and get by. Somebody said, Preacher, I thought you said God forgave him. God did. God forgave him. But there's always a price to be paid. When we try to pay with the credit card of sin, you hear me and hear me well, payment's going to be much higher than we ever anticipated. What is it the old preachers used to say? Sin will take you farther than you intended to go. Sin will cost you more than you intended to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you intended to stay. There's another one of those things too. But I tell you what, I don't like them three enough to even go to the fourth one. You say, then preacher, why, why should I get right with God if I'm going to have to pay the price? Because I want to tell you something. It is so much better to be close to God when judgment falls than it is to be far away. Here's one thing I learned. My daddy, my, my daddy was a good man, and he loved me. He thought I hung the moon. My daddy did. Now, don't you tell him any different, because I say, Daddy, they lie. They lie. I did hung that. I did hang that. But my daddy thought I hung the moon. But there were some times when I was growing up that my daddy whooped me. Mama couldn't hurt me, but Daddy, whew, psh, I mean, he could hurt me. And boy, he did hurt me a time or two. I mean, when he got done with me, I knew I'd been whipped. But I learned something the older I got and become more experienced at these whippings. I learned something. Don't stand away from him. Back into him. I mean, that first one, you may be a little bit of distance, but when you get started, dance a little bit. And as you dance, move toward him because he can't get as much leverage. He can't hurt you as bad if you back into him. Now, can I give you some good advice? You say, preacher, I've messed up. Will God forgive me? 10,000 times yes. Am I going to have to pay for it? 10,000 times yes. But the closer you get, 
to the Lord. The less leverage that he's got. I'm kidding. But it's so much easier to go through the times of judgment the closer you are to him. Amen. I'm just trying to say this morning, if you blew it, you know something? There is a price that's going to have to be paid. Can I tell you this? A person can go out and commit adultery and they can come to God and get forgiveness, but it doesn't mean their marriage is going to make it. A person can go and embezzle money from their place of employment and come to God and God will forgive you, but it don't mean you're going to keep your job. A person can go out and murder somebody and they can come to God and get forgiveness, but it doesn't mean that you won't go to jail. But I tell you what, the closer you can get to God, the better off you're going to be. Because grief is certain. Amen. You know something, really, I got to notice in this, we have got to go. Y'all are listening way too good this morning. But I got to notice in this, and I'm done, but look at verse number, I'm eating here after church today, so I ain't really trying to beat the Methodists nowhere, so... But look at this one phrase in verse number 13. Look at this. It says, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. I never knew this. I was reading the commentaries this week, and, and every commentary, and people that I trust, like John Phillips, I mean, good commentary, said that statement, The Lord hath also, hath, has, uh, has also put away thy sin, means this. David, the Lord put your sin on another. I got to think, that's exactly what Jesus did at Calvary. God took your sin, and God took my sin and laid it on another one. His name was Jesus, his own son. And Jesus bore the punishment and the pain and the penalty for my sin. Amen. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. You know what you need this morning? You just need Jesus. You need to come to him. Cast yourself on his grace. Let him cancel your guilt. Oh, I know the grief's going to be certain, but it's so much better being close to him than being far away from him. How be it, David? That child is going to die. Hey, why don't you just bundle it all up? Hey, lay it on Calvary. Reveal it. God, here's what I've done. I've done this. I've, and let God... Conceal it. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer.